Well, it is great to be with you both here in the room, but also for those that are watching online, thanks for joining us. I don't know how you made it to the online or in the room, or even those of you that are up at uh, Taramaro this morning as well. Why don't we do something real fun? I, th I think this would be fun. Uh, I think it would be great if those of us that are in the room would just welcome all the people up at Tara and also all the people that are watching online. Would you give them a big round of applause this morning? Thanks for joining us. So good to have you. Um, here's what I'd love to do. You guys got to learn a little bit about me this morning. I want to get to know you this morning a little bit, including those watching online and up at Tara as well. So I'm going to do a, a real quick survey. This, this doesn't matter if you've never, by the way, if you've never been in church before, um, or maybe you haven't been in church for a long time, uh, you can participate in every part of what we're going to do. And maybe you are not used to being at a church where you're asked to participate. I'm going to ask you to do some things like maybe raise your hand here this morning during the survey. You can do that, just so you know, you're allowed to do that. So, all right, here's the first question. And you can participate in the whole survey, even if you don't say yes to this first question, okay? First question is this. Have you ever been on an aeroplane before? All right, just raise your hand if you're watching online. Tell Louisa in the chat, just say yes or no. Or if you're up in Taramara, it's going to be weird. I know there's no actual person asking you this question. You're watching a screen. You can still raise your hand or keep it down. All right, go ahead and put your hands down. Next question is this. Now, the way you respond to this question is going to be a little tricky. You're going to use the fingers on your hands. Okay, so the next question is this. Pick which is your favorite or least favorite part of flying, okay? So if you think takeoff is your favorite part of flying, you're going to put a number one up, okay? If you think it's your least, part, least favorite part of flying, you can put a number one up, okay? So go ahead and just respond to that. Go ahead, put your hand up in the room. We've got a lot of ones, a lot of ones, okay? We've got some fives. We've got some, uh, anybody got a six? Do we have a six for like least favorite? Least favorite part of the flight is the taxi. I agree. I totally agree with you. My favorite part, you can put your hands down now or you can drop the number in the chat no matter how you want to respond to that if you're watching online. My least favorite part of the flight is the taxi. My favorite part of the flight is the takeoff. And I actually get to, I get to fly quite a bit because of the kind of work that I do. And I, I got to tell you, I never get sick of the takeoff. It's exhilarating. No matter how many times I fly, I love it. But the taxi, I'm with you. It's my least favorite part of the flight. I especially hate it when you land at an airport and they say to you, we're just going to be a little bit because the, the gate that we're going to, they didn't know we were coming. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm going, who else didn't know we were coming? Like, that's concerning. If people didn't know this was landing and coming to... That's a concern to me. I don't know if that would be concerning to you. Always a concern for me. All right, next question is this. If you had to describe 2022 or even just the last 12 months. So I know for some of you, 2022 was a long time ago. And you're like, I don't even remember. All right, just go with the last 12 months or even the last three months. If you had to describe it as a flight, how would you describe it? Hopefully... There are no sixes in the chat online or up in Taramara, people holding up sixes. Hopefully, go ahead and put your number up in the air. Go ahead and, if you had to describe it, okay? We got some threes. I love, I'm a big three guy. I love the climbing flight. That's a big one. We got some turbulence, okay? 
It's a little nerve-wracking. No sixes. I'm looking around. There's, everybody's just got one hand, which is nice. We've got some fives in the back of the room. They're going left or right. We're banking left or right this year up in the back of the room. Just point in one direction. Back and forth, okay? Also known as a two, turbulent, okay? All right? Maybe you got your numbers mixed up, all right? Hey, when it comes to next year, the next 12 months of your life, what do you hope the flight might look like? If you had to describe it, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping the flight might look like? Drop it in the chat if you're watching online. Louise is there, and she's uh, hosting our online service this morning. She'd love to see what you're hoping for this year when it comes to your flight. All right, next question. This is a great question around flying. It's a question about questions, okay? It's kind of a Jesus move. If you're not familiar with Jesus or the Bible, maybe, again, first time in church or first time in a long time, Jesus was the kind of person that if you asked him a question, it's a bit like playing poker. He'd say, I see your question, and I raise you a question, okay? I've got a better question for you. So this is a question about questions, all right? Which question do you think is most asked on a plane, on an airplane. Go ahead, we'll put those up on the screen. Do you think it's number one, where are we flying over right now, or where, why is your seatbelt different from ours? That's a great question, by the way. They have the four-point harness. You ever notice that? When they clip in, the people that are flying the plane, their seatbelt is far more robust than the little lap thing. <laughs> Makes me wonder, what do you know that we don't know? Next question, can you help me with my bag? Can I change my seat? Very important question. How does this flush? It's a very important question. And then, do you have a SIM eject tool that I could use for my phone? Okay. Which do you think it is? Go ahead and put your number up. We're not going to tell you the answer just yet. Okay. We've got a lot of, got a lot of fours over here. A lot of fours. We've got some sixes. All right. We've got some. Okay. The correct answer is number four. Can I change my seat? The most asked question on a flight. I actually ask it normally before I get on the plane. I walk up and I say, hey, how full is this flight? Some of you that travel, you're all nodding because you're like, yeah, I do the same thing. You're that person. And last night I got lucky. They put me in an exit row seat that I didn't, wasn't expecting, didn't have to pay extra for. It was amazing. So here's what I typically ask when I get on the plane. I sit down next to someone. I actually did this last night to a lady that was sitting next to me. So just word of warning, I'm that guy that asks questions. So if you see me on a flight, go ahead and put them in or put them on, and you won't have to answer any questions that I might ask you. I ask this same question almost every time I fly. I always ask, are you coming or are you going? I grew up watching this show, some of you won't admit it, but you watch it as well. It's called Home and Away. And I used to ask, I always oftentimes ask, are you going home or are you going away? It's a great question to ask people because it leads to more questions. I get to ask more questions. Again, you're thinking, I never want to fly next to this guy. I get it. But it's a great question to ask because you learn a lot about somebody. If they're going somewhere or if they're going home, you get to ask all sorts of questions. Here's the question I get asked almost every time I fly in a conversation with someone. They always ask me this question, Jason, what do you do? And then when I answer the question, they normally put their AirPods in or put their head. 
normally shuts down the, the conversation, or they start asking themselves questions like, did I swear? Did I say anything I shouldn't have said? This guy speaks in churches. It's like a weird conversation from that point on. Last night when I asked the question, the lady actually, she responded with something that I hear often, and I'm kind of disappointed by the answer to the question. She said, you know, I grew up going to church. In fact, I went to a church school, but when I became a teenager and got out of high school, I just didn't see any relevance in church anymore, and I haven't been since then. Here's what I love about Northside. I love this about your church. You're a part of a church and a part of a network of churches which want to reverse those kinds of stories, to want to re-engage with people that maybe haven't been in church for a long time, or even better yet, that provide great programs for kids and for teenagers, like what's happening downstairs right now with Sharice and what happens up in Taro with Tina, where we are engaging the next generation into faith, into something that's incredibly relevant for their life. But this question, what do you do? And oftentimes the questions that kind of come around conversations on the plane, but also in culture and society, I think reflect something about our culture and our society. Here's what I think this question, what do you do, reflects. It reflects an incredibly externally focused culture and society that we live in that are focused on really three big things. What do you do? What do you have? Or what do people think or say about you? These are things that our society and our culture are laser focused on. And you might be sitting this morning and saying, you know what, Perko, Jason, whatever it is that they call you, some weird nickname that you have, whatever it is they call you, I'm not sure that I really agree with this statement, that we live in an externally focused culture and society. I'm not sure if I buy that. Let me ask you a question. What do you typically wake up thinking about each morning? What did you wake up thinking about this morning? Was it something that you need to do today? Or maybe is it something that you have on your calendar or on your schedule today? Or perhaps like many people in the world, in fact, the statistics tell us that more than 50% of adults in the Western world, when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is they reach for one of these things. And they're oftentimes checking what other people think or say about them from their post yesterday or their holiday pictures, which I just posted a bunch of because I was on holidays recently too with my kids. And I wonder, what is it that people think or say about me? And here's what ends up happening. Here's what ends up happening. Because of this externally focused world and culture that we live in, here's what ends up happening. We end up doing more so that we can have more, so that people will think more and say more about us. And this is the craziest part. This is the crazy part. If we're being honest, all right, let's be honest. We oftentimes end up doing more so we can have more, so that people we don't even know or people that we don't even like will say more about us and think more about us. This is what ends up happening because of the externally focused culture that we live in. And by the way, this is not a church issue or a Bible issue. This is not a Jesus thing. This is a, 
This is a human thing. Whether you're a church person or you wouldn't consider yourself a church person, whether you've never been in church before or this is your first time in church, this is just a human issue. However, I want to get really brutally honest with you, especially if you don't consider yourself a church person. I want to let you in on a little secret, okay? For those church people in the room or watching online, you can kind of check out for a moment because what I'm going to say is a little bit challenging and you can just kind of check out for a moment. I just want to talk to all the people that maybe don't consider themselves a church person that are watching online or here in the room or up in Tara. I want you to let you in on a little secret. Us church people, we take this do more so we can have more so that people might think more and say more about us. And we actually religiously complicate it. We religiously complicate it. Here's what it looks like. We think that by doing more for God, we might have a better relationship with God. And he might think more and say more about us. Now, listen, nobody would ever get up on a platform and say this is the formula when it comes to your relationship with God. I would never get up and explain to people, this is how your relationship with God works. But everybody check back in for a moment. Church people, you can kind of come back in. The secret's out. This is what we oftentimes do. We may not say it. But we oftentimes live out our Christian life thinking that if I do more for God, then I'll have a better relationship with him. And he might think more and maybe even say better things about me. And I'm here to tell you, this actually works for a period of time. It has worked for me for a period of time. When I first started out doing ministry, I would do more for God. And because of doing more for Him, I was oftentimes given, I had more opportunities to do more for Him. And then I had people that thought more of me and would say more about me, which led, by the way, to doing more for him because you have more opportunities to do more. And the cycle just keeps repeating over and over again. It led me. Here's where it led me. It led me to doing for God here in Australia, leading some youth ministry in camps and conference centers and so on, being asked, having an opportunity to do the same thing, but on a global level over in the United States, the ministry took us to the United States. I became the youngest, keyword, youngest leader in the largest Christian camp and conference ministry in the world, youngest director of the largest keywords, because doing more for God oftentimes leads to having more opportunities. And then that led me to as I mentioned before, leading at a church in, in Colorado Springs, which then when you do more for him, all of a sudden God opens up more opportunities and other people open up more opportunities. And we actually came to leading a, a movement in our city of more than 100 churches, similar to what you're doing for the North Shore. We called it Cause I Love You. COS is the abbreviation of Colorado Springs, Cause I Love You. We had more than 100 churches all unified around loving our city with no strings attached. Amazing, incredible things. But in the height of all of that, in the midst of all of that, 
my soul was being crushed with all of the doing for God. So crushed that I remember walking around my neighborhood one night in the midst of all of this with my wife. And as we were talking about all the challenges and all the struggles and all the demands of the ministry of doing for God, I remember taking off my glasses. I was so angry. I was at one of my neighbor's houses. I snapped my glasses in half and I threw them on the ground, dropping an F-bomb at God. I know my neighbors probably think, this guy has like a bipolar relationship with God. Some days he loves him, and other days he's dropping F-bombs at him. I was so internally in chaos and turbulence. And it was in that moment I finally reached out to a friend of mine for some help, and he introduced me to a guy, a guy named Lance Witt. And I remember talking to Lance the first time I chatted with him. I kind of told him my story, and I told him about the struggles I was having, and, and I just remember Lance saying to me, you know, Jason, have you ever took the time to not care for all those other things that we've been talking about? Have you ever taken the time to learn how to care for your soul? And I was like, I don't even know what that means, Lance. What does that even mean? Lance defined it very simply for me. He said it this way, soul care, Jason, is tending to the garden of your inner life. That's what caring for your soul looks like. It's tending to the garden of your inner life. And I remember, as I began to think about it, I began to realize, you know, most of my life and leadership, most of it had been focused on how to harvest the externals of my life. All the way through grade school, high school, university, Bible college, every leadership thing I had ever been trained and equipped in was how do you harvest the external forest of your life? How do you grow an organization? How do you speak and communicate to an audience? How do you lead a team? How do you build a business? These are all externally focused things, but I had never taken the time and never been really trained on how do I care for the internal of my life? And here's what I discovered. Here's what I discovered. Eventually, the health of your internal life will be revealed in your external life. It may not happen overnight. It might take years, maybe even decades, but eventually the health of your internal life will be revealed in your external life. There was a story during this season of my life which became a game changer for me. It's a story from the first century. It's a story about Jesus, and I know some of you are probably wondering, when does the Jesus part come? This is it. Lean in. This is the moment. There's a story of Jesus and a couple of ladies that was such a powerful story in this season of my life. I want to share it with you today. And especially if, if you're a church person, maybe you're watching online, you're up at Tara, and you've been in church your whole life, I, I, want, to be, I want to encourage you, be careful that familiarity doesn't breed contempt when you're reading a story. Be careful that you don't just breeze over things. I want to invite you, in fact, the way I've found to help not be overly familiar with the story is to continue to be curious about the stories, the stories of Jesus and how he interacts with other people. Be curious. Look for the emotion in the story. In fact, that's what I invite you to do. Look at the characters in this story and kind of get into the emotions that they must have been feeling as you listen to this story. 
Luke records it, a guy that was a, a doctor in the first century. He took a lot of time to record so that we would have access to the stories of Jesus in his life. He records the story in this way. Here's what he says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Jesus. I love this analogy that, that Jesus goes into a village. I love this part of the story, the detail that Luke gives us. Martha opens her home, unlike preachers today who book out like a whole you know, floor of a hotel for them and their posse and all their crew. Jesus just hung out with people, went into people's home. And Martha is basically saying, Mikasa, Sukasa, my home, it's your home. She had mate, you know, Jesus had mates, you know, rights to the fridge. You could go to the fridge, you could do whatever. Your whole team, go and enjoy the fridge. So he goes into Martha's home. And the story continues. It says this, that she had a sister called Mary. And I want you to notice the detail that Luke gives us here. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, I want to take you to the first century for a moment because this is really, really important. In the first century, when a rabbi was, was in a home or was somewhere teaching, Jesus was a rabbi in the first century as a, a, a famous teacher, the best place to sit in that setting was either on the left or the right-hand side of the rabbi. In fact, there are other popular stories about Jesus and people arguing over who would get to sit on the left and the right. But notice Mary in the story. Notice Mary sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Not worried about the Instagram moment of somebody might take a photo and I'd be on the left and then I could tag it at Jesus rabbi and people would notice like, oh, you are. Oh, wow. Mary's on the right. That's amazing. Mary sitting at the feet of her rabbi and look at what she's doing. Listening. Listening to the rabbi. Luke goes on. Look at the contrast in the story between Mary and her sister. Luke goes on and says this, but Martha was distracted by all the things, all the preparations that had to be made. I remember the first time reading this and I put myself in the story and I thought, you know, but Jason was distracted by all of the churches that needed to get involved with Cause I Love You. But Jason was distracted by all the camps and conference centers around the world that he would go and visit. But oftentimes we are distracted by all the things that have to be done. And then it says this. She came to Jesus. Martha's gutsy. You got to give her the... Give her the award for the gutsiness in the story. She came to him and asked the Lord, don't you care? Who speaks to Jesus like that? Like I, I get pretty gutsy with Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not sure I get that gutsy. But don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? And then she doubles down. Not only is she questioning him, but now she starts directing and saying to Jesus, tell her to help me. I don't know, you, maybe you've been following Jesus a long time and you, you feel like you have this kind of relationship you can start directing and telling him what to do. I'm not there yet. Martha's there. 
I love Jesus' response. Martha, Martha, and I actually think Luke didn't put them all down. I think it was Martha, 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 Martha. <laughs> Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Actually, Jesus now doubles down. Indeed, only one. Don't miss this next line. This is powerful. What Jesus says next is so powerful. He says, Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. Notice Jesus saying, Mary has chosen what is better. He didn't say, Mary has chosen the only thing. He's just saying, this is the priority. Sitting at my feet and listening. That's priority. She's chosen what is better and it won't be taken from her. I'll never forget walking to the whiteboard in my office and writing these words on the whiteboard. I wrote, being with Jesus is greater than doing for Jesus. In fact, that's what I hope my family will put on my tombstone one day. I, hope they, they, I honestly hope that they'll say, no, here was a guy that understood that being with Jesus is greater than doing for him. Jesus said it this way. One of his famous statements, he said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. I think you came this morning, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you came because you have this desire inside of you or you're watching online today because you have a desire inside of you, or you're up at Torah today because you have a desire inside of you to bear much fruit. And he gives us the silver bullet. It's not doing more for him. It's remaining in him. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Here's the big idea. Here's the big idea as we kick off this series of talks. Our doing for Jesus, it must flow out of our being with him, not the other way around. Your experiencing him doesn't flow out of doing all these things and being busy for him. It's the other way around. Your being with him allows all of the doing for him. That's the big idea as we start. And you may ask this question. It's a great question to ask. What does that look like then, Jason, in 2023? Like I get the Mary. He, Jesus was physically with them. Get to sit at his feet while Martha's busy. I get that. What does it look like in 2023? I want to read a brief passage from Matthew that I think unpacks exactly what this looks like as we land the plane today. Here's what he said. Jesus said this. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion or doing things for me? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Here's what this, I think, looks like in 2023. 
it looks a lot like what we might think of or refer to or see in our culture as an apprenticeship. It's hanging out with the master, walking with him, working with him, watching him live life. And when you walk with Jesus, work with Jesus, and watch how he does it, all of the sudden, you start to live like the master. Just like an apprentice, carpenter, or a chef, they watch and they work and they walk with the master. They start acting like, they start buying the same knives that the master uses in the kitchen. I remember when I was in university, I had the privilege of being a brickies laborer, closest thing I ever got to an apprenticeship. Guess what? I had the same lunchbox as the bricklayer. I had the same folding chair as the bricklayer. I even drive a ute today because of getting to drive that bricklayer's ute when I was a 19-year-old. I fell in love with utes. When you hang out with the master, you start to become like the master. That's what Jesus is inviting everyone into, an apprenticeship with the most loving God who simply just wants to spend time with you so that you can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So that's the big idea as we kick off. The big idea is simply this, that our doing for Jesus must flow out of our being with Jesus. I want to land with a, a quote that is probably one of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible, kind of bring this thing full circle to what we started off with this morning. It's a quote by a great theologian, a priest named Henry Nouwen. And he said it this way. He said, spiritual identity is not tied to what we do or what we have or what others think or say about us. We are beloved children of the Most High God. If you get nothing else out of what we talked about this morning, do me a favor, just lean in for a second. Like literally, physically, lean in for a second. Get on the edge of your seat. Like the game's about to finish and we don't know who's going to win. The God of the universe sees you as a beloved child. Not because of what you do. Not because of what you have. or What others think or say about you but because you're his child. And he longs, he longs to spend time just being with you. He longs for it. Not you being busy doing everything for him, but just being with him. Father, I pray. I pray a blessing upon every person here in the room, watching online or up at Tara, God, or watching after the fact. May we all have this truth buried deep inside of our hearts. That our doing for you must flow out of our being with you. And you long, you long to be with us. Which is why you stepped out of heaven in the first place. And lowered yourself to become like us. So that we could see you and experience you in a way that we understand. Thank you for that incarnation of becoming a part of us. And God, I pray your blessing upon us as we seek to 
apprentice under you and become like you by being with you. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.